Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. Putman Restoration is a proud sponsor of the Asking Why podcast. Putman Restoration specializes in commercial disaster services, including water damage, fire, smoke, mold, and storm. Their goal and desire is to get your properties up and running as soon as possible after disaster strikes. Hospitals, schools, hotels, and large municipal buildings. Malls, churches, and large commercial properties are their specialty. Manage properties nationwide? No problem. Putman Restoration services their clients nationwide. They are strategically partnered with elite restoration companies throughout the U.S. and Canada, giving their clients resources during disasters where normal companies would be tapped out. Trust the professionals at Putman Restoration when disaster strikes. Visit them online at www.putmanrestoration.com or give them a call at 318-453-5029. Hey guys, welcome to the Asking Why podcast. This is your host, Clint Davis. Um, It's just me today. We're going to talk about um, success. So um, I just have been talking with a lot of people um, in my office and um, seeing a lot of things in our culture as I'm parenting my two boys, just trying to figure out like what success means. I hear that word thrown around, like people want to be successful, people want to find success. And uh, Haseem and I were talking, he's one of our therapists here, Haseem Jones, and um, we're like, man, we should do a podcast on just raising kids and the culture of success and sports and all those kind of things. So we're going to do that. So we're going to make a little two-part series. Um, and today will be part one. And so it's just for us. It's for us as adults to think about um, what success means to us and just take a moment to kind of reflect. I think a lot of times we just don't get deep enough under the under the surface and ask ourselves why we do things that we do. And so we're going to talk about that. Um, I looked up the definition. So it's a noun, the accomplishment of an aim or a purpose, and then the good or bad outcome of an undertaking the good or ill success of their maritime enterprises is the sentence it's used in. Um, so the end goal, right? The purpose, the aim is, is, um, and accomplishing that is what we call success. Um, so today I want to talk a little bit about deconstructing and kind of rebuilding an emotional, emotionally healthy view of success in our lives so that we can influence others, um, influence ourselves, change, help our community, and then ultimately help the children behind us. Um, as I said earlier, me and Hasim are going to talk about parenting this next week. So today, just kind of focus on you. So a little quick history lesson up until the 1820s and really uh, until the 1990s. Now, if you're a history buff out there, you're going to you know murder this podcast because I definitely didn't do all the research I should have on it. But generally, right from the 1820s to the 1900s, we were a pretty communal society. And a lot of societies in the world have always been communal. They, you know, and by community, I mean really focus on family, family systems, being together, living in the same households, grandparents being in the same households. Um, it, it comes from, you know, the idea of it takes a village to raise children. Um, 
because most people were living off of less than a dollar a day all the way up to the 1900s. Um, and we were working together as a culture, as a world, as people to succeed. And in lots of different cultures, you know, the tribe, the unit uh, is cared for because everyone benefits from that. Um, success, you know, looked like everybody in our community kind of coming together and making sure everybody was um, benefiting from it to one degree or another. And <clears throat> part of the problem in America that is that we have we've become very successful at prosperity, right? From in when the Great Depression happened and then the revolution, uh, Industrial Revolution happened, it began to change our culture um, in a way that kind of the world had never seen. We started to succeed in, in making modernism and technology and industry the lens in which we kind of saw success through. And so this this impacted our, our culture because we became uh, more sophisticated in the way that we could make things, machines, things to do things for us, tractors, factories, um, washing machines, you know, all of these inventions that we came up with to really reduce our workload and increase our ability to do other things, to have more capacity to move across the country, to have more capacity to have less work hours, to have more capacity to to work less um, with our bodies and focus more on learning and education. And so schools became a huge focus, right? Education, college, um, different avenues in which we could work and um, in fields like psychology and fields like um, entertainment. And so all of these things are happening in the same time. And so math and science became a huge focus in, in primary school um, because we knew that children could not grow up in a world and make money off the arts, right? There wasn't time, too much time for expression or emotions. There were wars to be fought, food to be put on the table, and really the society to be built. So we were in that season during the 1820s, the 19, early 1900s, in our culture of, you know, still being community, but then shifting as we became successful in our society after World War II ended and as we started to end the wars, you know, build this, this society around um, those things I, I just mentioned, we started to um, individualize more. And so we started moving from community aspect to individuals. We started building backyards instead of front porches. Our community started to be spread out into subdivisions and into larger cities. And then as a school system, we started to educate children to focus on them, to focus on their job, their career, career, to focus on what they could do to make money to get out to provide for themselves instead of not necessarily providing for their family. We start to see this parallel <clears throat> path with the church. Right, the, the church continued to grow in America, and, and the culture started um, impacting the church. And instead of countering that, right, due to a lack of, I think, discipleship and then just the heavy focus of individualized culture, we started making churches almost into businesses. We needed more butts in the seat to pay for the churches instead of the depth and accountability that community uh, would normally bring. And so when we stopped being, I think, independent on, on one another— and connect and, and had a need for each other because of all this comfort and all the success we had. Um, we lost that little bit of community. And I think we've seen that continue to decline. Um, because, you know, pastors became like CEOs running a corporation and isolated and alone at the top. And the congregations became like consumers wanting to show up and receive a product. And whoever offers the best product got the most consumers. 
So we kind of, unfortunately, when the culture took a hard right on individualism, we, we kind of did the same thing as, as a church. And as America has prospered, I think we started, we've started to get more comfortable. Um, the American dream was, became this kind of firmly established idea. If we buy a house, we get a white picket fence, we have two, three kids, we get a dog, we're good to go. And that became kind of the lesson that we've been teaching people uh, that's going to be success, right? Success is if you end up having those things. Now that the, the underlying current is that'll also what bring you happiness. If you go to school, make good grades, um, get a good job, then you can buy a house, buy a car, have some kids, pay for your things, and that'll bring you happiness. And that was the beginning of the American dream, and now it's just continued to, to um, turn into a bunch of different, you know, things about that little monsters little arms and limbs and heads and and it's just morphed and dis, disfigured itself into that little core idea but now it's be whoever you want to be do whatever you want to do make as much as you want to make go wherever you want to go and there's not just one american dream but they're all firmly established in individualism you find success and what you can do for you and wealth and prosperity, and that'll bring happiness. As the church, we should have been steering culture for the glory of God, meaning as American culture shifted, um, we should have as a community been leading that. We should have been keeping the idea on community, on the idea of walking through suffering, on the idea of service at the forefront of our families, at our, at our jobs, in our, work, in our work life, in our home life. And instead, we, I think we've fallen into the seduction of comfort of success being able to have a comfortable life with no hardships, with no difficulties, without conflict. Um, and I think that's an echo of everybody knowing internally that we there is a heaven, that, God, that Jesus is going to come and restore those things. He's going to bring us ultimate comfort and no pain. And I think we all just have this, this desire, this, this moaning, this groaning, as Scripture says, to bring that to earth, um, but we're letting the American culture steer that. And what we do, you know, in, in culture is we swing from one pole to the other. We pendulum from one cultural expression to the other, and they're all on the fringes. So for thousands of years, children were not seen, you know, to be seen and not heard. They just grew up in a, you know, in a house where they tried to survive. People had bunches of them, right? So they could grow up and, and tend to the fields and the land and manage the animals and work in the family business. And all of that was going on up until this industrial revolution and huge individual shift. And then as we individualized, 1950s, 1960s, we started looking at parenting and psychology, and we started trying to figure out how to nurture our children better and connect with them more and attachment and trauma and all the things that we do here at Clint Davis Counseling that are important things became a focus. And they're amazing, and they've made our world better. But unfortunately, we, we swang way over to the other side, and in the last five to 10 years, everything is about comfort. Everything is about not, not having any difficulty. And so for the first time in human history, we, we are entertained so much. We have um, kids growing up with all these resources and all these abilities, which are all amazing. But the figuring out how to make that a culturally, culturally um, relevant thing in the church and finding a balance to where it doesn't have more cons than pros is what I think we have missed. And so as the church 
should have been teaching families how to live in American society, but not be corrupted by it or manipulated by it. Instead, we've, we've kind of raised our children in the same way the world has, with a little bit of sprinkling of religion, or in some cases, right, the sprinkling is like, we go to church, we show up, you know, for Easter and Christmas, we, we do Wednesday nights, but that doesn't come home with us. Or the opposite pole, which is church is, religion is everything, it becomes legalistic, it becomes controlling, it becomes obsessive, it becomes forced, right? And, and still, in some ways, the teaching doesn't come home. And so we have made the gospel into this kind of behavior modification. And Christianity is the only religion that's not works-based, right? You don't have to do anything. You can't do anything to save yourself. And all other religions say we have to do something. And unfortunately, what we've done is we've taken the gospel in some ways and we've made it works-based as well. We show up in, in church thinking we have to do something, thinking we, we have to be good enough or, or not cuss or not drink or not date somebody who does or um, and measuring everybody else against those things and, and thinking we're constantly uh, disappointing God or thinking that we're constantly um, ashamed of our behavior and our sin and, and we're hiding from God and we're hiding from the Word and we're hiding from community because if we get found out or somebody knows that we do something, then we'll be excommunicated or we'll be judged or we'll be criticized. And, and I think that falls right in the trap of the American culture stepping into the church and, and influencing and manipulating the word. And, and, you know, we, we have to get back to what the gospel really says. And I think that comes from figuring out what we think success is, or at least that's the lens we're looking at it from today. And so, right. What the question would be, what does this have to do with success, Clint? And, uh, it starts, it starts back with the definition, right? The accomplishment of an aim or a purpose. And so my question for us is what, what is our purpose, right? Uh, there was the book, The Purpose Driven Life, that came out a long time ago, and it was one of the you know second bestsellers to the Bible, I think. Um, but the reality is, it, stop right now and ask ourselves, like, what is success, and what are we teaching our children? Success is is it is it fame? You know, is it being known? Right? Do we do we want lots of people to know us and know how awesome we are, and know how good we are, and know how smart we are? Is it maybe it's not a lot of people? Maybe it's just I want my mom and dad to. I want my family to. I want to. I want to be different than all these these people that I'm around. I want to, you know, get out, and I want my family to know I I graduated. I accomplished something. I got that job. I became that doctor. I became that lawyer. I became that nurse. I became that mom. I became whatever. But it's it's fame, right? I want the credit. Is it material possessions? I mean, Lord knows. I mean, all of us. If we live in America, we have way more than we need. Most of us. If we're driving around listening to a podcast and, and have enough time to listen to me yap about this stuff, then we definitely have the time and the material possessions to be comfortable. You know, are we working hard and trying to do all the things we're doing so that we can have more stuff? You know, JC and I have been talking about um, trying to finish off our student loans, and, you know, that, that feels like a huge accomplishment. But I, f I find the tension of like, okay, well, we're, we're debt-free, so can we get a pool now? You know, and what does that look like? And, and well, can we go on this vacation finally? And my selfish, you know, heart says, okay, well, I finally paid off all this debt, so how can I do something for myself to treat myself? And, and it falls into that material possession thing. And so we've been talking about trying to figure out, you know, experiences that we can do um, 
every day, every week to benefit our family and our kids and our community more than can we just buy something else? And, and maybe that comes with a pool. Maybe that comes with a different uh, material thing, but it's, it's your heart posture with it. I think a big one, which Hasim and I are going to talk about next week is, you know, sports, right? Is success, like how good we are at sports, how good we are at activity, how good we are at our job. Um, so we have to be the best, be an expert, be all these things. And the more letters behind our name and the more influence we have and the more, um, you know, clout we have in our job, is that what we find success in? And with our kids, you know, it's, it's the baseball, the soccer, the, the chasing those things as if they're going to, you know, be a NFL combine the next, you know, right after they graduate or they're going to be a professional baseball player. And again, it's not that those things are bad and my kids play sports and do, you know, violin and soccer and all those things, but it's, do we, is that what we're defining as successful is if we finally get to the top of that? Is it being well-educated? You know, a lot of, a lot of us chase those letters behind our name, the PhD, the doctorate, the knowing everything, knowing the sources of all things, not getting caught in um, a trap. You know, we see that a lot online right now, the know-it-alls behind the keyboards typing and arguing and posting links and spending tons of times just to, you know, refute someone they don't even know in another country or another uh, city or another state. Is it influence? Is it having tons of friends and everyone liking you and everybody um, caring about your opinions? Is that success? And the reality is, is not everybody's going to like us. Not everybody's going to follow us. Not everybody's going to be friends with us. We can't be friends with everybody. They don't have to dislike you or not like you um, or hate you or think poorly of you, but they're just not going to all connect. They're not all going to fit. They're not gonna, all going to be your people. Right? I see this in church a lot, and I know I found in this, like getting married, right? Is that success? Maybe you're single and you're listening to this, and you're like, okay, if I finally get that spouse, if I finally fall in love, if I finally have that relationship and that marriage that my friends have, or having kids. You know, I remember being, we were married five years, and, you know, it's like all of our friends were had been married. Now some, some of them have, like, kids graduating this year. I'm like, good Lord. You know, they've had kids a lot longer than us for a lot more time. But is success measured on arriving at that spot that we had kids or we got married or whatever? Is it, you know, a big one is retiring early. If you haven't ever seen it, there's a great, um, Francis Chan does a great uh, video analogy with, it's, I think it's the it's the white string or it's the red line or something. You can look it up on YouTube. Um, and maybe I'll put it in the description, but just talks about, he has this little piece of, this long piece of cord and on the end of it's red and talks about all these things we try to do on earth in this time of red and then eternity is on all the white and it's this long string. And, you know, so many of us, we're going to work hard. We're going to, you know, kill ourselves so we can retire and we can have 10, 20 years of nothing. You know, is that the goal? Is that success that we can retire early? Is it being in perfect shape? Is it doing CrossFit? Is it having a 12 pack? You know, what is it? But these are the major things that I see in my office and I see in our culture. And then there's other things, but these are the major ones that I see that we are teaching ourselves, that we have learned that it, that is successful and that we're teaching our kids it's successful if we end up having these things. And the interesting thing is all of these things are so man-focused. We can, in these doing these things, we can make ourselves be enough based on our external factors and skills. If we can be enough, right, what, what will we be achieving? What will we finally get? That's the question. What is success? Prosperity? Is it peace? What does that even mean? Does anyone ever feel like they have enough money? 
Do people not age? Do they not get wrinkles? Or do we not lose our hair and gain weight? I think our American society has given us a, a false bill of sale. It's selling us goods that are, that are going to rot and decay with time. So I ask us to take a moment today and find the areas of our lives where we have been lied to, where we've been told that if we reach X, we will get Y, and X plus Y equals Z. You know, what's our Z? What's the thing that the world, that Satan, that the society has told us, if we just do these things, figure out what those things are, what, what are those things, and they'll get you this. And I ask the same question of us as Christians, as followers of Christ in the church. Which, by the way, should be different, right? The success in the church, the success in, in our families, in our, in our discipleship groups, in our community should be different than the world. But what is success in the church? Is it a bigger building? Is it nice lights and cameras and screens? Is it a charismatic, really attractive pastor in skinny jeans? I'm, you know, hating on my pastor friends in skinny jeans, but, right, what is it? Is it a worship leader who can sing like an angel and everybody can sing along and loves it and listen to it and, man, he's amazing, his voice is great? Is it a building full of people and numbers? When the world looks at the church, when somebody looks at the church today, how do we know that they're successful? What's the main goal? Is it to make our make sure our members are super happy and comfortable on Sundays and Wednesday nights? Is that what we how we approach church? That the goal is to make us happy that we, you know, I've heard people and I've said it. I didn't really get out anything out of that out of that service or the pastor was kind of off today or I didn't nothing really stuck with me. And that's, again, such a consumer mind state of going there to get something instead of going there to worship the Lord and be with the Lord and enjoy the idea of community and connection and with people that we've committed to. And we see the problem with all these versions of success is that it keeps us in a cycle. It keeps us going around and around because they're never enough. It should never be and will never be the purpose or the end game. Now, again, none of these things, I want to say, none of these things are bad in and of themselves. Having our kids in sports, going to church and enjoying the music, you know, doing the best you can for God, having a great voice as a worship leader, having lights, having stages, all those kind of things. I'm not saying they're bad. But I think as Christ followers, we have to figure out what the purpose is and why we're doing it. Are we doing it? For this narrative, this American church, this success, this this um, behavior modification narrative, this business model in our lives and other people's lives, thinking that it's going to end in happiness? Do we think if we if we do everything right and we follow all the rules and play all society's games, that we'll end up with more comfort, which will bring us more happiness? Right? Is happiness the even the goal? Again, I feel like I see in our offices. And in counseling, there are people trying to find happiness, going out looking for it, and it becomes more elusive. And as we shoot at the targets of, of success and happiness, we they keep changing in our culture. They keep moving. I truly think that being unaware of where we find purpose and value and how we define set, success is one of the main drivers to anxiety, depression, suicide rates in America, all the things that we've seen increase. Now, I want to say this too. 
caveat. We have a lot of problems in America. I'm not saying we don't. Our healthcare system, our education system, our racial inequality, our division in the church, division in our politics, right? On and on and on, we got problems. That's so true. And I could do and have done podcasts on some of those issues and we'll try to keep doing them. But but put all that aside. Well, actually, you know, it just, just hold it in one hand because like we talk about all the time, two truths can happen at the same time. So all those things are true. There are problems. No system is perfect. There's things to work on. And in the other hand, I want you to compare it to all societies in the world and in human history. I want us to compare the church to other churches across the world and all of history. Yes, it could be better, much better. And there are things to work on. But we live in the most pampered, comfortable, resourced, educated, informed, and entertained culture that's ever been. Many, many people have achieved the American dream, and yet, and yet, lots of them are miserable. So what are we living out, and what are we teaching our children? Because they're watching. And again, I don't want to go down that rabbit trail too much because me and Hasim are going to talk about it next week, but we've got to figure this out for ourselves. It starts with us as adults, us as young adults, teaching and modeling and living our lives as most authentically to the gospel and to, to the, the story of how, who God says we are and getting out of this American dream that we're living in. And I think it's, you know, just thinking of it off the top of my head, it's the American dream that means we're asleep. Like we're sleeping because we're dreaming. And I think that's it's a it's a good thing, right? We're dreaming of heaven. We're dreaming of what we want. We're dreaming of this time where comfort is king and everything is peaceful and harmony. But what are we giving up now on earth when that's not real? Right? When comfort is killing us. I, th- I think we know if we follow the American way of life, it's going to end in misery. misery. But maybe it won't for you. Right? That's... That's that's the lie. Oh, maybe if you get all these things, you know, it ends up miserable for all these people. But maybe if I achieve it and I get it and I'm successful in the way the world says, then I'll I'll end up being happy. You know, people say that about the lottery all the time. That you know, the stats something like you know more people win the lottery and they're more depressed than they've ever been in their life from the lottery. And people laugh and joke and say, "You give me all that money and and I'll uh, and I'll prove that stat wrong or I'll be in the." But that's kind of how we are. We don't think it'll be us. Research shows that after a household income rises over $65,000 a year, your happiness does not increase. And I know that's, you know, many people are like, well, if you make more than that, it's easy to say. Well, yeah, but it doesn't improve your happiness. Right? If you have a Honda Accord versus a Lexus, is your happiness going to increase? Now, if you have a beat-up truck that you can't get anywhere and that runs out of gas all the time and has issues and it's constantly in the... and you get a new Honda Accord, yeah, you're going to be... it's going to increase your happiness. But your happiness, the feeling of success, the feeling of of meaning and purpose in your life is not going to increase if you have a brand-new Honda Accord or if you have a brand-new Lexus. But, man, your status in the community, this false narrative, this idea in the background running saying it will it keeps us going if we have a 2500 square foot house versus a 5000 square foot house is that going to increase our happiness no now if we got 10 kids maybe but the reality is is if you go from a 
300 square foot apartment, 500 square foot apartment to a 2,500 square foot house. Yeah. It's going to increase your happiness. It's going to be more room. It's going to have, you know, easier time. You can move things around, but then it's going to increase what you got to clean, who you got to pay for, right? It, it, it has pros and cons. And so, yeah, maybe it's a temporary increase in, in your dopamine, right? That gets you high, but then we're just in the race, in the chase for the next thing. Okay. So I think I've made my point. So what do we do? So what does success look like? So I'm going to list a few things out. I think success, in, in, in my opinion, is having a healthy mental status. And what I mean by that is I'm not saying you're not, you're not struggling with anxiety or depression or you're just perfectly calm and at peace and, and, and harmony at all times, but I'm saying you feel like you have a good understanding of where those things come from. You have a good understanding of where, um, where those things are going how you can handle them, skills, tools to manage them throughout the day, throughout the seasons, right? You have a good grasp on your mental health, right? That you, you understand your thoughts, you understand the lies that have attacked you, you, extend, you understand the trauma you've been through, and you're able to tell your story, the story of how God is using you and has used you and has shaped you for the betterment of other people. You're able to tell your testimony, and I think your testimony has to have your mental health included in it, right? It's not just, I was 16, I was at church, I was at a thing, and I, I realized I was a sinner, I gave my life to Jesus, bam, that's my testimony. No, your, your mental health, your spiritual health, it, it's tied into who God has made you to be and what he's still doing in your life and how that affects you and how that affects those around you. I think financial stability is another one but also a balance of where our money goes to make a difference in the world. So if we strive for financial stability and we're not in debt and we're not, and we don't have 15 credit cards and everything's not bought on credit, then we have the ability to tie, to give to missionaries, to give to the homeless, to give those around us that, that need it. When there's a crisis, when there's a school shooting, when there's a wreck, when there's an injury, when there's a cancer situation with a child in our community, we have the flexibility to give to those things and support those things. When somebody in our small groups, washing machine goes out and they say, man, we need a new thing or we can, we can just, Hey man, I got 300 bucks. Here you go. Right. Financial stability, managing our God's money. Well, allows us to help other people around us. That's success. When we have relationships that are deep and rich and can be counted on in times of need. When you have people that do show up. We've been so blessed by our community in, in times of need where people have shown up with gift cards or meal trains or prayer or just support. I think work that affects our communities and, our, and ourselves on some positive level. I think there's so many people in jobs that are miserable that they hate going to work every day. And if you're one of those, let's figure it out. You're, you don't have to be stuck. I'm not saying that's going to happen overnight or that's even going to happen in a year. But we get, so, we get so bogged down without support that we work jobs that are miserable with no purpose. We thought there was an idea. We took the best thing we could get. That life happened, things changed, and we took what we had to take. But reevaluate. If you're in a job that's miserable, if you're in a job that you hate, if you're in a and you're in a community of people that you don't like, that you don't enjoy, that it's miserable. Figure out some changes you can make. 
Talk to somebody, talk to a financial advisor, talk to a pastor, talk to a counselor, figure out how you can get out of that job and into something else and start taking steps in that direction. Even if it takes you five years, even if it takes you seven years, take a class, a night class every once in a while. Do something to where the next 40 years of your life, the next 30 years of your life is not miserable. Have a, you know, work, work with your family to be the light in the world. To have the ability to handle conflict and differentiate ourselves from our past mistakes, our past sins, and from the projection of others in our lives. Boundaries, right? We did some podcasts on this. Success is being truly known by people in your life. People that know your, your deepest, darkest struggles and issues and sins and, and, and story and that love you anyway. Having a relationship with God that's personal, but that we learn is not about us, that's not just about getting or God being a genie on a bottle that we rub and he, he shows up and, you know, fixes our problems and answers our wishes, but that is in relationship with us, that's there through the hard things. True discipleship, accountability, and a life based on principles. Success is learning to be happy with our physical appearance in whatever stage it's in. While maintaining health, right? Be healthy. Work out. Take care of yourself. But look at ourselves as a child of God made in His image. We don't have to modify and change and cut and cleave and do all these things to have worth and value. Now, we can do those things to feel loved. We can do those things to, to love ourselves more, right? to find some sense of identity. But when we obsess about them and make them our total identity, it's a problem. Success is being able to go, hey, man, I've gained some weight since we had kids. Or I've gained some weight since this and that. I don't really like that, so I'm going to, you know, I don't feel healthy, so I'm going to work out and work towards it. And, and learning to be okay with ourselves as we do that. But realizing once we hit that goal, we hit, we hit that, that percentage body fat or size or shape, it's not, we're going to get there and then life is going to happen and things are going to change. We're going to have a time of sickness or a time of illness or a time of sacrifice or service and we're not going to be able to maintain it. And if our worth and value is based on a particular thing, looking a particular way, it's always going to be in flux and we're always going to be disappointed. But if we can enjoy the process, if we can enjoy knowing that we're loved and we're valued and we're, and we're wanted for who we are at whatever stage we're at, then we can be happy with who God says we are and maintain that health in our image. We talked about this earlier, but managing God's money for his kingdom, right? Enjoying his blessings that he's given us, work hard for it, enjoy it, but also manage it well teaching our children early about the ways of life and about the teachings of Jesus and of, and not just teaching them the story of David and Goliath, but relating those things, discipling them so that it plays into their emotional health and their spiritual health and their mental health and their physical health and all of those things. We integrate the story of the Bible, the story of God into our, our children's lives early, early on, all the time. It's not just a Wednesday. It's not just a Sunday. And this one's hard, but finding a balance, success to me is finding a balance with our kids that life is going to have pain in it and that not all pain is bad and teaching them to learn to manage the pain so it doesn't turn into suffering. But when it is suffering, learning how to suffer well, as scripture says, so that brings us 
growth. Being known for our kindness in the face of hate. Online, in our relationships, politically. And in all of this, right, none of it's successful if we're not pointing people to Jesus. If they don't see Christ in our lives and everything that we do. In our mistakes, in our sin, in our brokenness, but in our good, our successes, right? It's only successful if they see Christ. They ask you, why do you do this so weird? Well, it's because of Jesus. It's because of what he did. It's because of him living in me. It's because of this kingdom that I'm trying to bring to earth, that I'm trying to experience. And that we understand that how we do this is that it's a journey. It's a process. We do it by becoming aware of where our focus and our purpose needs to be and spend time and energy directed at rewiring our brains, healing our bodies, and forming communities that are on board with the narrow road. Not trying to fit into the masses, not trying to fit into everything that everybody's doing and everybody's saying, but having a community that's on board with, with being different. Right? It reminds me of the story of the rich young ruler where... If you don't know it, Jesus is teaching, and this rich young ruler comes up, and he says, hey, I followed the rules. I did all the things. He became very, very successful, and he has all this wealth. And Jesus says, go and sell all your possessions and follow me. And he turns, and he walks off. His wealth, the problem wasn't his wealth. The problem was the comfort that he found in it, the security net that he found in it that he thought he could do everything and he could fix everything and success was by his hand. And again, it's not that Jesus is saying wealth is a bad thing. He's saying It's not that he's saying don't have wealth. It's that if we can't give it up for him, our heart isn't in the right spot. Right? It's, it's the story of Joseph using his little bit of land and property and social status to get Jesus off the cross with Nicodemus and give him a tomb to be buried in. He didn't have a lot, but he had that. It's the story of Mary and Martha, where Mary's at the feet of Jesus, and Martha's cleaning and performing, and Jesus is talking about, this is what I need you to be. And It's not that all the cleaning and the performing is wrong, but it's the heart posture while doing it. It's the brother of the prodigal son. He had all he needed and wanted and more. But in the moment, he was focused on what was fair, on the brothers, his, his brother's experience and behaviors and failures, instead of the gifts and the grace that his father had already given him and that was fully his. Story after story, the Bible gives us practical, practical examples of what success looks like. We're in the world, but we're not of it. We are to walk the narrow path that leads to life instead of the wide one that leads to destruction, Matthew says. So I'm asking us all today to look at our lives and adjust our language and our purposes and whatever we do. If we can know that we're loved and we can know that we're secure in Christ's care, if we can attune to the workings of the Holy Spirit in our lives, if we can have a community of believers walking in grace and forgiveness and honesty, if we can surround ourselves with those type of people, we can make a huge difference in the world through whatever tools God gives us, through whatever successes He brings us. And this will lead us to peace that surpasses all understanding. And this is what I think is a successful life. There's a quote that I I looked up and it said, Life 
should not be a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and well-preserved body, but rather to skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly proclaiming, wow, what a ride. And I don't know if that's Christian or not, but I want to get to the end of, of my life worn out. I want to enjoy it along the way. I want to I want to take my kids camping. I want to take them hiking. I want to watch movies. I want to enjoy what God's given me. I want to eat a good steak and celebrate with friends and have cookouts and maybe get a pool. Right? I'm not saying any of those things are bad and all those things are are things that God has given us that are blessings, but we have to believe that God has more purpose for us than the, the American dream and just the what we are labeling as, as success. You have so much more purpose and potential. And if you don't feel that today, I want you to know you do. I want you to know you're loved and that you're valued. And that one day Jesus is going to return and he will make a new heaven and a new earth. He will restore things to where they were supposed to be. And we have the opportunity now to bring the good news into our hearts first and then into the lives of others. So if you find yourself anxious or depressed or disappointed or overwhelmed, know you're not alone. I find myself being anxious and depressed sometimes. I find myself being mad and disappointed. It's not, you're not going to get to a place in life where those things don't come up sometimes or there's not that warfare. There's not a perfect way to do life. We can't make all those things go away. And, And it's not always a lack of faith or an effort on our part. Sometimes it's just living in a broken world in a broken body, around broken people. But what I'm asking us to do today is just evaluate our focus and our purpose. How do you define success in your life? How are you teaching your children what success looks like? Is it the American dream that leads to destruction, or is it teaching them that if they focus on the kingdom of God, then all of these things will be added? If you want help with this stuff, if you like you like the material we talk about on here, reach out. Reach out, get some counseling, meet with a pastor, join a healthy community. But if you need support, reach out because you can't do it alone and you're not supposed to. And success, again, is not doing everything by yourselves and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and at the end of your life going, look what I did. But how we define success will direct us to our purpose. As always, I appreciate you guys listening. I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope these last few episodes have been good. Um, I'm going to keep putting stuff out. Hasim will be here next week for part two. We'll talk about um, how do we help our kids? What are some of the things we get caught up in in culture? And and how do we um, do a better job if we can um, with our children and helping them live in this world, go to school, do their thing, but also how do they be, how do, how do they, we teach them to be different so that people look at them and go, man, that difference is, is a good thing. And I want some of that. And I'm drawn to that because as these kids in our culture continues to be more individualized and continues to be more unhealthy, um, we want, we want to raise kids that can swing that the other direction in a good way and find balance. So thank you for your time. God bless you guys. And I hope you have a great week.